Welcome to the Kelly Patrick Show. Thank you so much for tuning in. In today's episode, I am joined by Tommy G. Tommy is a video creator, and he produces the wildest documentaries on YouTube. You can follow him, of course, on YouTube, but also on Instagram. Really appreciate Tommy G joining me today. If you're a fan of the Kelly Patrick Show, I ask that you please send some referrals the way of my sponsors. The title sponsor of the show is Louisville Combat Academy, located at 7908 Beulah Church Road, Louisville, Kentucky, 40228. They have a great MMA program, but also, even if you aren't planning on fighting in the cage, they have a great jiu-jitsu program for adults, female-friendly classes, and a great kids program also. Check out Louisville Combat Academy. Heidi Solars Coots. Heidi is a licensed clinical social worker and licensed clinical alcohol and drug counselor, specializing in treating anxiety, depression, trauma, and addiction with a mindful and holistic approach. Heidi is actually my mother, and I can attest she is a saint. Call her at 502-457-1823. Virtual and telephonic appointments are available anywhere in the United States. Veercast Digital Media. Veercast Digital Media at veercast.com. Matt McCarthy runs Veercast, and he is also the producer for The Kelly Patrick Show. They do video production, aerial drone photography, web design, and podcast production. Contact them at info at veercast.com to start your own video show or podcast. Also, my health insurance practice, Benefits Analysis Corporation. Based in Troy, Ohio, I work from my Louisville, Kentucky office. I can help anyone in the United States with their health insurance needs. I'm an independent broker for health insurance solutions for individuals, families, Medicare-eligible individuals, and also groups. I can also write life insurance, and long-term care. If you want to support the podcast, please send me some referrals. 502-386-0978. Welcome to the Kelly Patrick Show. Thank you so much for tuning in. In today's episode, I am joined by Tommy G. Uh, Tommy is a video creator of the wildest documentaries on YouTube. Tommy, I appreciate you joining me. How are you today? I'm happy to be here, man. Happy to have a conversation with you. I love it. Um, Tommy, I like that when we scheduled the episode, uh, you probably didn't know a lot about me, but you did a little bit of research and it sounds like you checked out not just, uh, you know, my Instagram and things like that, but you even looked into someone like my, which is a good way of going about doing things with public figures, mm-hmm. but you saw some of my tweets and you were, you know, just trying to figure out kind of what I'm all about, which is a good thing. Uh, But I appreciate that you did some homework prior to the episode. Indeed. Um, Tommy being, well, we'll assume for the sake of the episode, maybe a lot of the Kelly Patrick show uh, listeners are not familiar with you. Okay. Mm. Could you introduce yourself to the Kelly Patrick show audience? Who is Tommy G? Why did you end up uh, making documentaries? and, and, And what brought you to the point where you are now? How old are you? Where did you grow up? What type of a, a background did you have? And what is your story, Tommy? I grew up in White Bread, Crystal Lake, Illinois, and I rest, started wrestling when I was 10. I then went across state lines to wrestle at UW-Whitewater, and I finished my career there. And then I was recruited to do a job in Milwaukee. And I, I've always been fascinated by different cultures, different, just there's so many, there's an endless amount of fascinating people on this earth. And 
you know, when I was in college, I lived with a, a tribe in the jungle of Ecuador and I drank spit. I shot blow guns. And, and then I started filming com- uh, comedy or prank videos. And then I made a change to make documentary videos. And since then, my channel has grown exponentially and is now a full-time gig where I get to travel the country. And eventually it's going to be the world and find some of the craziest things on camera. And I kind of have a knack for getting things on camera that uh, are either too scary for most people or uh, too hard to get access to. Okay. So if once again, we're taking the stance on this that you you know, maybe someone listening is not real familiar with you. Of these documentaries and comedy videos that you have made, what is some of the craziest shit you've gotten into? Have you ever gotten yourself into some trouble? You know, have you ever had someone try to fight you or attack you or uh, the police get involved? What's the craziest shit you've seen thus far? What I'm most known for is the Kia Boy documentary, which was covering Milwaukee teenage boys that are stealing cars at a record pace, 10,000 cars in the last year. And I went boots on the ground. I spoke to them. I watched them with a stolen car, demonstrate some of their tricks. And I had them go into my own car and demonstrate how they would steal it. I've also been to the most dangerous city in America, which at the time was St. Louis, Missouri, with the highest murder rate. Uh, Right now, Baton Rouge, Louisiana has passed that. So I'll be making a trip in 2023 there. But um, me and my cameraman have had guns pointed towards us. Uh, We've been in underground tunnels in Las Vegas. That's actually coming out on Tuesday. The mole people of underground Las Vegas, where they live in the tunnels, that's coming out. And I cover all sorts of things that fascinate me from graveyard ceremonies with witches to going into the Hasidic Jew community in New York. You name it. If it's interesting, uh, I'm, I'm about it. Okay, um, and my interview style is very ADD, so I jump around, I'll be here, and then jump back there, and then take it into a random direction. You said you grew up wrestling. Yes. What did that do for you? I know, obviously, it's a sport, but I'm guessing, being that you not only wrestled, what, you say at age 10? Yep, 10 to, now I coach it, I'm 29, and so wrestling is the single greatest influence in my life. Uh, It it just is amazing to, to put yourself in very tough situations all the time. Like I remember when I was a junior in college, I was cutting 13 to 14 pounds a week. Uh, I was launching a startup business and I was um, going to school. So it was one of the busiest periods of my life. And the discipline, the teamwork, the brotherhood, I just love the sport so much. And um, it's made you, it makes you tough. It makes you be able to take on challenges and things that might shake an average person. I mean, I would bet on a wrestler to to take on a challenge and, and win. I uh, grew up for some reason trying to play basketball, being a 5'9 white guy with li- limited athleticism. In the mm-hmm. high school I went to, had a good wrestling program. In hindsight, I definitely should have wrestled. I ended up getting into jujitsu and uh, like a little bit of boxing later on, and that's what I spend all my time doing now. Mm-hmm. Um, but in hindsight, I, I would say... I really, my son's in eighth grade right now. He's on the, the basketball team. He's like the eighth or ninth guy on the, the, the roster. I hope in high school next year, I hope he doesn't hear this, but hope he gets cut from the basketball team and, and then he, he ends up wrestling. Because I, I, I believe wrestling is so difficult and it's not quite for, you're not really doing it like to impress the girls or it's not like for the glamour, especially at those, you know, the the lower levels, really even the top levels. I mean, it's, it's a, a different animal and it's just difficult. Yeah. And I think it's good for you. Most certainly. And it helps in life. Like I've done jujitsu now for the last six years 
And that transitions very well into that. I've done one cage fight, wrestling helped me win that. So um, it's just a great life skill. And also the people you meet in wrestling, jujitsu, any combat sport really are some of my favorite people I know. And so I'm very thankful for it. And also um, it grounds you. And I think getting your ass beat is good. And I think being on the beat ass is good. So experiencing both sides of that coin is just makes you a healthy human being. I would agree. I, I get to teach some kids jujitsu and I've been doing that for, I've been training jujitsu for about six and a half years. So about the same as you without the prior wrestling background. Um, but the, the teaching of the jujitsu to the kids and everything, I, I'm a, a big fan of everything that you said. Tommy, what's your long-term, uh, let's say 10 years from now, what could this turn into? Do you see yourself continuing down the path of, I don't know about social media, influencer or um you know a political career or political influencer where where can you see uh, this taking you down the road hmm. so much can change in 10 years but I'll, I'll take a stab at it i i'm fully aware that what i'm doing right now i think the stuff i'm making is evergreen and that it can stand the test of time so maybe i'll still be making the craziest documentaries on youtube in 10 years i hope i am but I also know, I mean, I do real estate on the, that's the other thing I do full time. And there's so many directions you can take in life. I think to get active politically is a big mountain to climb because I feel, and I can just tell from some of your, what I view as libertarian ideals that we're not very represented in this country. And it's, you're fighting against two behemoths of two parties that just don't work. The, mach the machine does not work and we really don't have the mechanisms it seems to fix it. So we're stuck in this endless cycle. And do I want to waste my time in like this corrupt and uh, not just corrupt, but also just something that is so big that it can't function well? Do I want to throw myself into that or would I rather stay in private business and maybe I'll be a serial entrepreneur? Maybe I'll direct things. Um, I don't know, but I do know I want to be financially free. I want to do life on my terms. I want to be uh, in great shape. I want to be heavily invested in my friends and my kids and my family. And that would be a wonderful life to me. You mentioned you do real estate. That's your other full-time gig. Uh, what can you tell me about that? When you say real estate, that can mean a bunch of different things. Uh, what do you do with real estate? There's two main pockets we have. So, you know, we have uh, a little over a dozen properties in the Milwaukee area, ranging from, you know, we have three, four unit buildings, probably 10 or 12 duplexes, just picked up a single family and we're renovating two more duplexes. And right now in Milwaukee, there's a big uh, shortage of good houses in the hood. There, You walk houses and you can't believe people are living in these houses. Part of it is the landlord because they're taking absolute shit care of their unit. And part of it is the tenant, people live like animals. And so uh, what we seek to do is renovate things nicely and then really take our time to find good people to move in. So we have a lot of buy and holds right now uh, but we're also growing our wholesale branch of real estate, which is selling things off market. So if you have a house for 120 that you can't list on the market because it's not ready, you'd have to invest another 40 or 50 to renovate it. We, you know, we'll say, okay, we'll give you the 120. And then we go to the other people and say, hey, we got a house for 140. Who wants it? And then you pocket that in between. When you say we, who are you referring to? I have two business partners. Uh one is a jujitsu black belt and the other is a, a kid who wrestled briefly in high school, but is uh, kind of a number, a whiz at numbers. And he's uh, one of my, and my camera guy. He's my camera guy. Okay. So it sounds like you got a, a team there. Um, yes. Milwaukee's gotten some interesting attention recently. 
of course, with the Netflix, like Jeff, Jeffrey Dahmer stuff. Um, how do you, how do you guys feel that's, uh, representing Milwaukee? Is that a, is that a good look for you guys? Yeah. I mean, what bleeds sells, you know, so like the, the things we're most known for are, I would say probably our basketball team. We're known for Jeffrey Dahmer and we're known for the Kia boys. And, um, so it is what it is. I, I love the city. It is, it's gritty, but it also has a lot of good elements to it. Um, but you know, I don't put myself in a collective view. So I don't, if someone can say something about Milwaukee, it doesn't really bother me because I know what my life is like here. and I know how I enjoy it. Earlier, it sounded to me like you kind of grouped yourself in with a libertarian. I, I identify as being like anarcho-libertarian or whatever verbiage you want to use. Is that an accurate description of yourself also? I would say I certainly believe that government should be more hands-off and that I err on the side of personal freedom. But I don't know if zero government, like I don't have the, um, I don't have the solutions that are working in, in, in out in real countries right now like would a libertarian government work for us i don't know like who who takes care of the streets who takes care of the snow and the so i think there is a role that government plays in society the balance is how can you make them most efficient at what they do and least invasive at what they do and right now i feel like that balance is out of whack okay when the kia boys were in your car, and they were showing you how easy it would be to hotwire your car. Did you pick up anything? Do you think you could hotwire a car? I'm terrible when it comes to fixing anything or doing anything that would be deemed handy. So, I mean, if they can do it, I feel like I should be able to do it. But um, that kind of stuff is not in my skill set. But it was, it seemed easy. It seemed like anyone that has a reasonable IQ could pick it up and do it. And aside from the fact that they were making their living from stealing cars, did they seem like pretty nice guys? Well, the funny thing is they just do it for joyriding. They don't even make any profit off of what they do. They just, it's after school activity for them. Um, the positives I saw in them, they are risk takers, which translates well to being an entrepreneur. They were funny. The kid had, I think the best line of the video is when I'm asking him about how he feels if you know, he stole my car and I'm crying at my house. He's like, well, you should have had insurance. That's illegal. And so I think that his skill set is very transferable to other realms of life. But is he interested in pursuing that? That is yet to be seen. Okay. And so you're 29 years old now. When did you start down specifically this path to documentaries? Yes. Yeah, that started in May. I'm sorry. And since it started in May. So I did prank videos for four years. Okay. I got up to 80,000 subscribers doing that. And then since I started launching documentaries, uh, it might've been even early June, I've quadrupled in growth and it's clear that this is the path that I'm supposed to be on. Now you say subscribers, uh, of course, your YouTube channel, your Instagram page, uh, what kind of social media outlets uh, do you have? YouTube is king. So I have YouTube and Instagram TikTok, my TikTok is probably going to get banned in the next video I post. They Every piece of my content gets violates their community guidelines. And so I'm on the edge of getting cut, which I don't care. I don't give a shit about TikTok. But um, YouTube and Instagram are my, my platforms, but YouTube is what can make a living for somebody. Now, you said your next video on TikTok will get you banned. Is it a specific video or you just have a feeling sometime soon? 
Yeah, I have an editor chopping up clips for my most dangerous city in America video, and I'm sure those clips will get flagged just because of the guns. And then um, the Chicago drug dealer that I interviewed, I'm sure if I put any of those clips, that will violate the policy. Yet there are 15-year-old girls like showing their booty cheeks, and that gets you know that gets millions of hits on TikTok. That's okay, but if I if you show a documentary actually showing what's going on in the world, then you get flagged and. It's just interesting what there's so much content that they can't possibly police it properly. I understand that it's mostly AI that's probably making the decision. Like it's not like they're targeting me or my channel. I think it's too much content to properly police, but just some of the stuff I do see is interesting how it made it past the filter and my stuff gets cut. You mentioned uh, you were speaking with what was it? The the drug dealers. Mm -hmm. I met with a Chicago uh, drug dealer that sells fentanyl, heroin and crack. And what did you learn from him? I learned that going into it, I would have thought this guy is a total piece of shit. And I don't even know what it's going to be like to talk to him. And I can tell you, this might sound funny, but he would be a guy that you could invite to your dinner table. And if you didn't know his background, you'd think he was an all right guy and funny and personable, good conversationalist. And so it's interesting how people rationalize different decisions they make and I guess the uh, the gray area of good and evil was apparent in this video. Uh, my wife and I are currently watching The Sopranos. So we're watching mm-hmm. the whole thing. I think we're on season five of six. And that's kind of a recurring theme in that show. You know, Tony Soprano, of course, by many metrics, is an absolute piece of shit. He'll kill someone, you know, doesn't care. But at the same time, you know, he was a pretty good dad in some ways. Um I mean, you know, there's some positive things to him there. So I, I think it's an interesting uh, concept to try to determine who's good and who's bad. I mean, we look at the pharmaceutical companies and the drugs that they release and that are they're legal. Um, but I mean, how many people die or, or their lives are ruined due to these uh, overprescribed, maybe even specifically painkillers, things like that. So I think it's an interesting sure. conversation. And how many people started on legal drugs that are now interacting with this Chicago trap house guy and millions of people like him around the country. And if you were to ask the drug companies, I'm sure they would weave a story of like, you know, we've helped 5 million people live their life pain free. Like everyone can justify their own actions. And that's where it gets weird is uh, what, I mean, when you do something that is a massively influential thing, there's going to be unintended consequences and trade off. And I guess maybe you would feel better if they owned it. If they said, you know what, we we had this mission where we had wanted people to live pain-free. Unintentionally, we also got people addicted. Part of it is doctors overprescribing. Like as long as they just said something to address, yes, we have contributed towards the problem. Here's something we're gonna do for it, or here's an idea we have for the future. But instead they just read like HR departments or like lawyers and read statements that show no empathy to the situation that they've helped contribute to. Second time I've mentioned my 13-year-old son, but I had a conversation with him yesterday about fentanyl. And I Mm. I experimented with crazy drugs and stuff. I'm 39 when I was younger and got it all out of my system. So, you know, I lead a pretty clean lifestyle. But so that was before fentanyl became real popular. But I was trying to explain to him, you know, someone takes a little bit of just a tiny little bit of fentanyl and they mix it in with their heroin or cocaine. And 
it's like enjoyable. It's a good high for them for whatever they're going for. But then if it's just instead of this much, it's just barely a little more. That's enough to kill them. Yes. Did you have any specific conversations with this guy about specifically fentanyl? No, the thing was, he was telling his guys that it was heroin. And that's what I thought it was. He told me after the junkies left that it was actually fentanyl. And so I didn't have a chance to ask him about that. But another video I covered um, in Kensington, Pennsylvania, the city of walking zombies, where there's these people that are on a mixture of heroin and horse tranquilizer and fentanyl. Um, we saw a guy overdosing in the video and we're able to talk to his friends and watch him as he was getting revived from the Narcan. And um, if they hear that one of their buddies is overdosing, they find that dealer because they want that stuff because it's the good stuff. And it is amazing that you're dealing with such a small, minute difference between a good high and death. It is unbelievable. Back to the libertarian type conversation. I know that's turning into a kind of recurring theme of this episode, and I didn't intend for that, but it's fascinating. The libertarian stance would be all drugs should be legal. Crack cocaine, heroin, fentanyl, everything. And at least then there will be transparency. And so there will be less uh, people selling fentanyl and saying it's heroin or, you know, maybe that'll still exist, but it'd be legal for a, a company to come and put it together in a relatively... I know it sounds horrible. It's a difficult concept to really even dive into. But then people could say, I want to buy heroin. I'm going to go to this company, which has good reviews. I'm going to at least buy heroin. And I can feel very confident that it is, at least it is what I I think I'm buying. So where do you fall on the the concept of maybe uh, uh, the war on drugs? Obviously, it's a failed operation and we need to brainstorm other solutions now on the surface level i agree with legalize all drugs but let's take that mental exercise a step further what are the unintended consequences that can cut like there's always gonna be next things that come around the corner like if we create every city to be like a homeless encampment or strung out folks that what do you think if, if we did legalize all drugs what do you think would come from that what systems would we have to have in place to ensure that it works well and doesn't turn into absolute chaos yeah that's a, good, a fair question because uh, my son's first reaction when i was explaining this to him was well then people will do drugs and i was like well johnny he's 13 if drugs are legal if heroin's legal tomorrow are you gonna try heroin he's like no you know of course he's not i'm not going to i bet you're not going to so i don't i don't know the the, the honest answer is yeah, there will be unintended consequences. Maybe there will be some positive consequences. Maybe the border between Mexico and the United States, maybe you'll get a little bit safer, maybe. Um, maybe more people will jump into doing different drugs. You know, so yeah, it's, it's a conversation to be had. And as is often overlooked with many policies, there are not only intended consequences, but as you said, there are, of course, also unintended consequences so it need to be monitored and and really tracked i don't know what the answer is i don't think there's a perfect utopian type of answer i don't think the current state of of uh, the war on drugs in the united states is a, a feasible answer yeah i think the thing that's cool about the united states is we can try out experiments on smaller scales before we just nationalize an idea so why not try it in portland or try it in a small town or a small or a state watch the experiment, look at the results and either course correct and implement it more 
or say, hey, this didn't work. Kind of like universal basic income or, you know, abortion. Like just watch what happens when you when you say go for it and see that before you make it a nationwide rule. Uh, when it comes to you being inspired, I know your your, your uh, documentaries and even your comedy probably serve as in to a degree like inspiration for for many people. They enjoy you know what you do and learning about different things and doing so with with humor. Is there? Do you have anyone in particular? Maybe any books that you like to read, or any public figures? Anyone that stands out as someone who serves as a, a source of inspiration to you? One of my favorite all-time people of history is Teddy Roosevelt. I'm actually reading. I've read. I like to reread books a lot because I think you get stuff out of it. I, I remember hearing a guy said, "Like pick the hundred best books and reread them rather than." keep reading a new book every time because you'll, you'll kind of download that information a little bit better. But uh, I'm reading the river of doubt, his trip down the undiscovered or mysterious Amazon river at the time. And um, so he's, he's one Benjamin Franklin is one Malcolm X. I find very interesting too. Um, But as far as uh, documentarian uh, influence, I would say old vice documentaries where they just did the raw shit. Um, Speaking of which, one of the founders of Vice, which is actually a, a guy that's kind of banned in America right now, Gavin McGinnis, he's labeled kind of a far-right crazy guy. His book, um, what is it, How Not how, how, to pee, how to Pee in Public, something like that, is one of the funniest books I've ever read in my life. And there are stories, even though I've read it three or four times, like every time I read it, I'm just dying of laughing. So that's, Gavin McGinnis probably is one of the funniest books I've ever read. Um, but I, I, I read everything from fiction to biographies to things in between. You mentioned Gavin McGinnis, and of course, if we are, if we are being, you know, super woke here, we would both announce that hey, I do not agree with Gavin McGinnis. He's the uh, considered one of the more, you know, he's the 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 um, the guy with the Proud Boys, and of course, mm-hmm. with the January sixth, you know, and all that stuff, um, he's considered to be pretty polarizing. You just publicly said you've enjoyed his book and you know reread it a few times um you don't want to shy away from being associated with him or you does that scare you not in the slightest i mean one is i have no idea what he's up to now i have no idea what he said in the last 10 years and you can say someone's book is funny without saying that i every statement he's ever said i agree with or you know i don't know enough about gavin mcginnis to make a judgment he has like some of the stuff i've seen by him he makes he seems like a little bit of a provocateur where he says purposely controversial statements for a reaction and then when people get mad he's like oh you know so he plays that game do i think he should be banned from the internet certainly not do i think he's a good guy i don't know i really don't know enough about what's going on with him to say i stand with him or i stand against him it kind of comes back to the conversation we were having earlier about tony soprano or the guy who was selling drugs you said if you met him sit down and have dinner with him he would seem like, you know, pretty good guy. And maybe in a lot of ways, maybe he actually is. So I, I think it's a, a an interesting concept as to not go through in black and white, say this person's a good person, that person's an evil person, and everything in life is going to be black and white uh, all the time. Certainly. I think that's a good practice to have. Uh, you mentioned censorship earlier. Mm-hmm. What are your thoughts on social media and censorship and things like that? You're going to be kicked off TikTok soon, you assume? Yeah, I think I think so. I, it has. I have the account warning when I log into my page. 
So that is a tough one. Like, I think it's insane that Trump ever got banned from, because he got banned from Twitter while he was still in office, right? He did. He did. Yeah. That is unbelievable. But I don't know. Like, part of me, okay, so if Adolf Hitler was alive today Uh and using Twitter to help spread his ideas and marshal his forces, I don't envy those companies at all. I don't envy being in those shoes of figuring out who they ban. The thing I do know is that they te- they're they not balanced about it. Almost without a doubt, they ban the people that are on the right side of the political spectrum. If it was, if it felt like if it was at least fair, I don't think I would protest them as much and think that they're doing a bad job, but it just seems so biased that it feels like they're not doing a good job of managing their site. But I don't know. I mean, what do you think? If there was a guy that's saying... Meet here at five o'clock. We're walking in Nancy Pelosi's house and with pitchforks and uh, fire. Do you ban that guy or do you let him speak? What do you think? Good question. If they're inciting definitive violence, you know, the Nancy Pelosi, Paul Pelosi thing comes to mind. If, if that guy, which I don't even know what he stood for or anything, but let's imagine he was tweeting, guys, I'm going to break into the Pelosi house and I've got a hammer and I'm going to try to, you know, kidnap them, something crazy like that. I can see a case being made in that instance where you are specifically um, threatening violence. So if you're threatening violence, I can see that specific case. At the same time, um, you know, Illinois, of course, is close to you. Skokie, Illinois in 1977. I've been thinking about this a lot lately. I remember I watched something in 1977. There was a group of Nazis who were uh, demonstrating in Skokie, in a a Jewish suburb of, um, Mm. so Skokie, Illinois, which it says here is a Jewish Chicago suburb. Um, And there were Jewish people who came together, which I think is so fucking cool in a lot of ways, um, that they came together and they were fighting and protesting to specifically protect the free speech rights of those Nazis. Hmm. So I don't know what the answer is, and I agree with you. It's very difficult. We're in such a heightened uh, world now, right, where, where so many, you know, Mark Zuckerberg, it's easy to criticize someone like that. Um, but I, I don't think it would be easy to, you know, to have his job. But I think the example you gave earlier, the answer has to be if you're if you're specifically saying, hey, guys, look at me, I'm going to go kill this person or I'm going to go hurt this person. That's a definitive line. I don't think Trump did that. I really don't. I never saw anything that sounded like he did that. So I don't think he should have been banned. But short of that, I almost think even if you are a Nazi, that maybe you should err on the side of, OK, if they're going to be a Nazi, you know. Let him be a Nazi, and then hopefully it doesn't catch, you know, stick, and, and and people will see how dumb it is. Like, if somebody's racist, and like, hey, Kelly, I got a racist joke for you, or I'm going to say something crazy, I, I don't think they should go to jail for that. I think it should be dealt with, or, you know, I should probably try not to associate with that person for many different reasons, don't want them around my, my kids, or, you know, that type of thing. But I think letting things naturally work themselves out as a general rule, is probably a better approach uh, than just banning people at all, in my opinion. Yeah. About Trump's banning, I think where that guy really fell short was right now in this country, we need a great uniter. We needed someone that said that can make people come together. And I feel like almost every opportunity he had to bring people together, he didn't. And he would like punch down, you know, like instead of being gracious or 
like try and make friends with anyone on the left. He would always take the opportunity to yap and and talk shit. And I really think it just none of these leaders are good choices, dude. Why are we voting between Trump and Biden? It's just unbelievable. And so um, I'm going off on a tangent from free speech here, but we need a great uniter to come around. So that's what I'm hoping comes on the on the platforms next. Do you believe in voting? I think it's certainly should be a right. Am I voting in this midterm right now in Milwaukee? No, it's kind of like if you have two terrible choices, don't make, don't act like I'm a bad person if I don't want to participate in the two bad choices. Fair. A guy I really like is Michael Malice on like Twitter and social media. He's always kind of trolling people, but he describes himself as an anarchist and he Mm -hmm. takes great pride in the fact that he does not vote. He doesn't. Mm -hmm. He's like, hey, exactly. You just articulated it very well. He's like, guys, I I mean, what am I going to pick? Kamala Harris or Donald Trump? I mean, what what is this? You guys expect me to, I'm going to take off time from my work day to drive across the city or even to around the corner to go vote for essentially two people who are not good representatives, don't represent what what I believe, and even if they say they do now, inevitably, they're not going to when it comes to the the practical application of it. So uh, I think that was a fair explanation you gave. So how do you think that your branch or your, how do you think that third parties gain relevance in America? How does that happen? Wow, good question. Um, In 1988, Ron Paul ran for president. He wasn't that famous back then. I was five. I don't remember it. Um, but he ran. I'm a Ron Paul fan. Are you? I'm, I'm a big Ron Paul fan also, and I look forward to voting on Tuesday for his son, Rand Paul, um, who's not, the, not as great as his father was, but he's here in Kentucky, and I'm proud I get to vote for him. Um, but I, I think just spreading the good word. Dave Smith is probably the guy who will run for president in 2024. I'm a big fan of his. And I think Dave he, Smith, the podcast host? Yes. I love that guy. His breakdown of some of like the Middle East wars and um, the Russia, like that was, yeah, I, I could vote for that guy. He will most likely be the representative for the Libertarian Party in 2024. I will happily vote for him over Trump or DeSantis. I, I would never vote for a Democrat, especially knowing what's going on right now. But I mean, I, I'll happily vote for Dave Smith over any of the Republican candidates. And the justification for that is interesting because he's not going to win. He's not. All we can hope is he continue to, continues to get, you know, opportunities on Tim Pool, Joe Rogan, spreads these messages, gives a um, less biased take on like the Russia versus Ukraine situation, it, the, you know, so people aren't relying specifically on CNN or MSNBC or Fox News. It's like those are your choices. I, I think supporting someone through voting, but also just spreading the word through alternative sources of media is is a good uh, uh, trending in the right direction. I don't know that it'll solve anything in my lifetime, but I've said it before. If I die, you know, let's say 30 years from now I die, I'd like for my kids to be able to say, my dad, he knew it wouldn't impact the, the election he was voting for, but he took pride in voting for like what he actually thought was best. I know it sounds corny, but that is how I feel. I affirm that. I think that's a good idea. You are familiar with with Dave Smith, and it sounds like you'd seen some of his descriptions, I assume, on maybe the Joe Rogan experience of of some of the uh, foreign 
policy type conversations. Is that right? Mm-hmm. I just like that he broke like the especially the bin Laden breakdown where he's like, we try to cast this really big narrative that bin Laden hates our freedom, but really what he hated was that we were overthrowing governments, that we were funding his enemies. And you realize, man, maybe the guy had a reason to be mad. And it's not I'm not saying he's a good guy, but you can see why he is doing the things he's doing. And I think I just want a guy that tries, I don't, everyone's going to be fail, um, you know, not a perfect person, but I just, I want to vote somebody that I feel like is honestly trying to tell me the truth. That would be a great start. And we haven't gotten that in years. Fair. Yeah. And I I feel like Dave does, Dave does a good job of trying to tell the truth. I agree. And I, I like the description you just re, um, revisited that in my memory, but he was saying that uh, uh, everybody act like, oh my God, Osama bin Laden, they just attacked us on September 11th, 2001. Why did they do this? And it's because they hate our freedom. And then if you listen to actually what Osama bin Laden himself was saying, it was because we had been attacking them for like two decades prior, just bombing like weddings and shit and doing all sorts of horrible shit to where he's from. And then you're like, if you're rational, you're like, okay, I guess that kind of makes sense. And and you could apply that to right now with, um, this gets pretty polarizing, but I don't give a shit, with Putin. Hmm. People are like, why did he attack Ukraine? And Dave Smith articulates this much better than I do, but, well, he's completely unprovoked. He attacked Ukraine. And Dave, you know, or someone from that school of thought would say, well, actually... The after World War II, they broke up, you know, the, the, the Soviet Union, of course, um, uh, came together and then it, it ended up breaking up around like 89 and then 91. The United States said they were not going to move NATO east of this specific line. And then if you look at it, I looked at a, a graph of it and how it changed over time. Slowly, NATO has just been taking country by country and getting closer and closer to Russia's border over time and even doing so more as recent as like three months prior to Putin, who's a thug and a piece of shit. Um, But prior to him invading Ukraine, Kamala Harris was like bragging or, or, you know, just saying how they just sent all these missiles into Ukraine and it was to protect them. And then they were directly like near the border of Russia. And from Putin's perspective, you have to be thinking, Hmm, this looks fishy. But then he attacked Ukraine. Doesn't mean it's good. Doesn't mean that innocent people aren't killed. And it certainly doesn't mean, you know, Vladimir Putin is not an evil man or anything like that. But it just means why not try to take a, a more realistic look at, at foreign uh, foreign policy instead of just going with the narrative that the corporate media kind of gives to you. Dave 2024, man. <laughs> I love it. Um, I, I know we, we've taken this into some very interesting directions and it it has turned into being a little bit more political probably do you ever do political episodes like this no not often no no real aspirations for that no reason for it i like talking about it with my friends but i don't know if it's something i would invest my energy into because it just feels insurmountable and i have the philosophy of i can't boil the ocean but i can boil a small pot of water so i'll just control what i can control have the impact in my city, my community, my friends, my family. But beyond that, am I going to lead the fight against the behemoth, bureaucracy, 
two-party system. I don't know. I don't know if I'm that guy. I don't know if that's what I want to dedicate my life to. Fair. Have you been out of the United States much? Mm. Yeah. Ecuador, Guatemala, Mexico, Peru, Costa Rica, Thailand. Okay. If you had to leave the United States for some reason, do you have anywhere in mind that you would like to go? I love Central America. I would probably post up on a I'd get a little villa on a beach somewhere and make my command post but maybe I need to travel more too I'm sure there's I don't know Sweden Norway I don't know if those are great options look at the places that have really happy standards of living and their active lifestyles good food good culture I don't know but Mexico I love Mexico I, I don't like I mean the corruption scares the shit out of me but um the people the communities the food I could go for that the weather Okay. And what, what rank are you in jujitsu? Do you wear a gi? I do wear a gi. I'm definitely, I love no gi a lot more, but I'm, I'm a purple belt. Okay. And you competed once in MMA. Mm-hmm. And you won with wrestling? Rear naked choke. Yep. Took him down. Use jujitsu, get the back and got the tap. What year was that? Maybe 2018. Okay. Any aspirations of getting back into the cage? If some YouTube fight wants to make me a lot of money and I have a suitable opponent that I can really get intense about training for, then sure. I mean, I train four to six days a week, mostly grappling, but I'd I'd want my striking to get better if I were to do it again. But if there was a big money fight and an opportunity, yeah, I'm, I'm about it. What weight class would you be at? 170. What do you think of like um, Jake Paul? He won me over, man. I really thought at the beginning that it was a big joke and he was kind of a bully and a douchebag. But over time, I've really started to respect that guy. I think he has real good hands. I think people can say, yeah, he fought a 47-year-old this last weekend, but he beat Anderson Silva, dude. That's not That guy's been active. He's been winning boxing fights. He's been winning MMA fights. I mean... Is he the most, like, is he fighting 25-year-olds? No, but, I mean, he knocked out Tyron Woodley. I wouldn't, I don't think I could knock him out in a boxing match. So, I say he's making good moves, and I overall his message, like, he's really trying to fight for MMA fighters getting paid more. So, I'm a, I'm cheering for him. The stuff he's been releasing, I think, you know, I can agree with a lot of it. Um, Anderson Silva did defeat Julio Julio Cesar Chavez Jr., who is a pretty legitimate boxer. That was back in uh, 2021, so last year. So, I mean, yeah, yeah, Anderson Silva is no bum. And you know what I think it goes understated a lot is Jake Paul may come across like a douchebag. People criticize him, but I'm pretty sure Anderson Silva doesn't mind that he he took that match. I think he got paid very well. I don't know if that was his biggest payday of his career, but maybe – so, I mean, Probably. there's something to that, right? I mean, I, I love seeing someone like Anderson Silva get paid. Oh, yeah, most certainly. Good stuff. Well, Tommy G, I appreciate you joining me for the episode today. Before we wrap things up, do you have any closing words of wisdom? Uh, other than Dave Smith 2024, I heard you say that earlier. I won't forget it. Um, how, how can people follow you on social media? Of course, YouTube, Tommy G, but what type of plugs would you like to mention? If you would like to watch some of the craziest documentaries on YouTube, type in Tommy G, type in the Kia Boys, type in Most Dangerous City in America, I will pop up. And my parting words are, I think let's just continue to have conversations, have 
talk to your friends, talk to your family, have little mental battles and, and talk about different issues. And that's how we get better as a country, one by one. So I appreciate being on the show. Thank you for having me. And I wish you guys the best. Thank you very much, Tommy. I want to thank everyone for tuning into the Kelly Patrick Show. Of course, we will have another episode out soon. Thank you.